0: You know, I'm excited about tomorrow night. Uh, You need to come expecting. I'm going to come expecting. The Father's going to do miracles. Not only that, tomorrow night's service is probably one of the things that I have ministered that when people begin to put some things together, they learn how to receive in some really wild circumstances, and they realize it makes it so much easier for them to receive. You know, Pastor was talking about um, what we do with ministers, la- uh, I guess it was last year now, we went to Finland for the first time, uh, we were invited to go, we went over there and uh, no- nobody had ever heard of me in Finland except for the people that invited me, but they were able to get uh, about 30 pastors together, maybe a few more. So I sit there and I minister for, um, I don't know, about, about two hours uh, just to these ministers, and when this is over, I find out that 24 of those 30 ministers were going to quit. That they were, they were done. They were tired of the ministry. And they came up afterwards and started talking about the struggles that they'd been through and about how they were fired up and they'd never heard anything like what we shared and that they, anything we wanted to do there that they wanted to be a part of because people just weren't investing in them. And our partners made that possible. You know, they couldn't afford, our, our, I think, just the airfare to go over there. I think the budget for that trip was $7,000. Now, people say, well, yeah, but that's a lot of money for only 30 people. I don't know, because there were 24 churches represented there that are still going to be here in the earth today, still able to reach out to people. I thought it was a very inexpensive price. What about the fact that we, that the partners made it possible, you all made it possible that a man when he stands before the Lord Jesus will at least have the opportunity, a better opportunity to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You all are a part of all of the people, not just in those churches, but the people that those churches will reach. That people will not leave the faith, because you know, sometimes it's still a principle of the devil to strike the shepherd, so the sheep scatter. And that's the reason we spend a lot of times. Uh, on average, uh, before COVID hit, I, we're not exactly sure how things are going to work with it this year, but on average, we had about 50 or so ministers a year tell us that they would have, were going to leave the ministry if they had not heard from us and if we didn't help them. That is a significant seed that you all are sowing into the body of Christ. A significant seed. When you are actually loving on the people that Jesus has hand-chosen to represent Him. That's a magnificent thing. You know, and um, we don't take that lightly. I'm going to talk a little bit about partnership tomorrow night. But you, you all are having an effect literally all over the world. Uh, next year, uh, we, and we've done the same thing in Australia. We had similar in Australia. Um, that it was really amazing to see these people that came basically came just because they were done. That it was a last-ditch effort, Lord, if you don't say anything this time. And, you know, we just went to a minister's conference for another ministry, and it was funny because um, they asked uh, how, ma- you know, how many of you here came ready to quit. I think there's about 600 there. And it was, it was at least a third to two-thirds of the crowd went forward. And what we, the interesting thing about it was, is Terry, my wife, Terry, we were talking about the fact that, um, thank God, we didn't come in there on our last leg we didn't come in there ready to quit we we came in there honestly 2020 has been the best year of our lives um this has been by far the best year uh because um my i normally travel about 200,000 miles a year in between 180 200,000 and um so we uh she works for a police department in addition to pastoring the church in port st lucie and she uh, uh, she what she does is she ministers to victims of violent crime. And um, but during this COVID thing, they said, hey, we don't want you coming into the office. And so she only had there's three girls in her office in their unit that she supervises. And uh, of those, uh, they only wanted one person in the office at a time. So most of the time, Terry only went into the office one week. Most of the time it was two week two, or one day a week. And then sometimes it was two, but most of the time it was just one. So we were together 24 hours a day for six months. It was the first time it, it ever happened in our marriage. It was the most time we've ever spent together consecutively in our marriage. And they, um, they called her and they said, well, you've got to resume your normal schedule. You've got to come in every day. And I looked at her and I said, just quit. Just quit. This is too good. We, why would we want to let this go? Just quit. Just quit. And so, um, it's, it's been an amazing thing, but when we walked into this minister's conference, it was amazing because um, there was two sets of services a day, but we had four services a day because we had to meet with some of these ministers that were going to quit every day and make sure that they were stirred up, make sure that their marriage, a couple of them their marriages were kind of rocky and stuff like that, and try to help them. Do you know, we have some friends in the Porterfields uh, that are probably the best marriage ministers I've, I've really ever seen. And um, we actually will fly them to ministers or fly ministers to them. And our partners make that possible so that these ministers don't become shipwrecked in their marriage and we get those things built up. It's an amazing thing that you all are doing. Because I, I, we could not in any way stretch to do it without you. And I want to say thank you. And when you get to heaven... It will not just be sheep that greet you. It will be shepherds. It will be leaders of men that come up to you and thank you that the reason they heard, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The reason they were able to keep going was because of your partnership with this ministry. And so thank you. All right. I do want to give something away. Um, This is a a USB. It's called Navigating to Your Destiny. The reason for that is, is because And this is something, honestly, we used to major on years ago, but people don't just major on it as much as they should today. It's almost like they forgot this revelation. But your tongue, uh, James says, fulfills two vital functions. Not only does Proverbs say that death death and life are in the power of the tongue, but James says the tongue provides two vital functions. One, it is the bridle by which you can govern your body. The second thing is it is the rudder by which you can set your course. And a lot of times people don't, don't uh, take advantage of this. So, and people think that this was some new doctrine when Jesus said, if you do not doubt in your heart but believe what you say you will come to pass, you'll have whatever you say. People act like that was new. But you know that Isaac, when, um, when Jacob came in to get the blessing, you know, he speaks over him and he tells him what his life will be like. And Jacob has scarcely gone out the door when Esau comes in. And when Esau, when all of a sudden everything starts and Abraham, or Isaac realizes he's been deceived, and Esau says, can't you bless me? He says, listen, listen, it's over. I've made him your master. I have sustained him. Well, he had just walked out the door. Nothing had happened. But Isaac was convinced that what I say comes to pass. And I have whatever it is that I say. And when I spoke it over him, that is the way that it will be. And this is something that we need to begin to establish, not only in our lives, but the way that we are we speak over our children, the way we speak over our marriages. And for those of you who've had trouble governing your flesh, I've been there. And part of what this is, is it talks about how you can use your tongue to bridle your body. And I'll just tell you straight out, you're going to have to learn to open your mouth and say, no, I'm not doing that. Not the thought, because it doesn't that the thought is the bridle that rolls the horse's body by which we can control it. It says the tongue does it. And this will give you all the scriptural ammunition you need. It will renew your mind, but it will encourage you to go to a greater place. God has a destiny for you. He has a purpose for you. But one of the ways you're going to get there is by opening your mouth. And this will help you with that. So, uh, Patrick, you want to give this to somebody who looks like they need to open their mouth? All right. Y'all been getting something out of these things, these meetings? I'm glad for the two of you that are. That's, uh, that's all right. Um, is, if I, you know, if God, if uh, Jesus can change the world with 12, if I can get two of you turned on to the love of God, it's an amazing what things can happen. I want to, now I want you to think about some of the things that we talked about. We began to talk about how there's a difference between knowing and believing the love of God. Right? That we can know about it, it doesn't mean that we believe it, right? And then we began to look at some things about the love of God. We began to see, you know, we, last night we answered a key question. If God is love, what can I expect when I mess up? Because folks, you're going to, okay? It's not a confession, it's not me steering your destiny. I just noticed that everybody in here has a body. And I've noticed that those bodies can get us in trouble, Now, they should get you in trouble less and less as you grow. But you need to understand because there are going to be days you're going to need help. And all the devil wants to talk to you about is, you know, last night we saw where Jesus was very specific that, lady, I'm not one of your accusers. But folks, you do have an accuser. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And it is not Jesus. It is your enemy. And you have to have a way to answer the accuser. And hopefully you got some things out last night that nobody in here has ever sold the whole planet down river. Nobody in here has ever sold the whole human race down river. So there's hope for you. God still will help you. How many of you got something out of that last night? But now we need to take it a step further because we need to begin. Um, there are many people who have trouble with faith because they're trying to have faith in a God they don't know. They have no, and this is, I think part of the reason is, and I've kind of gone uh, back to this in some ways, is in explaining salvation in eternal life, like Pastor Sid said, we need to major more on the fact that when you answer the call at an altar, that is not the end of the journey, it's the beginning, and it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. Right? Right? But see, there's a lot of people that are trying to have faith in a God they don't know. And they don't understand Him. And they don't understand why He would, would do for them. What we stand up here and what the Bible says He will do. And we're going to answer some of that tonight. And see, here's the thing. And, and if you've heard me use this illustration before, and even if I've used it this week, I want, to, I want you to imagine this. When I first met Pastor Sidney, if Pastor Sidney were to walk up to me and say... Kurt, I'm going to buy you a new suit. Now, Pastor Sidney is a man of integrity. Pastor Sidney is a man of honor. But I don't know him. We just met. And so what would happen is, is I would shake his hand and I would say, Thank you, brother. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And then I would walk out of there. I would not call my wife and tell her I was getting a new suit. I would not bother shopping. Because I've had too many shake my hand just like that, tell me they were going to do something that did absolutely nothing. It's true. And so, because of my experience, he, yeah, that's great. And I, now I'm not going to say, I think you're lying about it. I mean, I'm not going to go that far, but I'm going I'm to be nice, right? But I'm not going to do anything different. I'm going to leave here. I'm going to go get something to eat. I'm going to call my wife. I'll make no mention of it. Even though he's a man of integrity and a man of honor. I don't know that. I just met him. Now, if Pastor Sidney were to tell me tonight, I'm gonna, I want to buy you a new suit. When this service was over, because I normally try to reach my wife when the service is over, I'd say, honey, I'm getting a new suit. While we're driving back, I will pull up Jose, uh, Joseph A. Banks, the suit people, on my phone. And and, Or if we go out to eat, I'll be sitting there suit shopping. While I'm on the phone, I'll be looking. Because I now know Him to be a man of honor and integrity. Now here's the thing. He actually didn't change. He was like that when I met Him. I just didn't know that about Him. But now, lo, these many years later, I am convinced of His character, and so now my faith, in His promises, is far superior than it was at the beginning, because now I know Him. And see, that's part of understanding the love of God, is just beginning to know Him and what He's actually like, where we take all the religion out of it, and we actually see Him for who He is, and begin to understand Him and get to know Him. Are you with me? All right to Genesis, chapter chapter 2, now I'll tell you something else that people become limited by, and this is a diagnostic, you know how we did some diagnostics either on the first or the second night about do you believe the love of God, here's a key diagnostic, do you want to know the will of God for your life, because some people don't. Because they're concerned about what it might be. If I get alone with him, he might tell me to go to Africa and live in a grass hut. And I don't want to hear that. So I'm not going to ask him. Are you all here or are you going home? Is this a Presbyterian church? <laughs> I was just curious. Um, so, the thing of it is, is why wouldn't you want to know the will of God for your life because you're concerned you won't, don't want to do it. And, I, and listen you come by it honest because preachers have helped us. I remember a Baptist pastor told me one time he said if you want to know the will of God for your life what is it you absolutely do not want to do ever and that's it. What? What? I mean, that sounds like God is a masochist. I want to find a thing that you absolutely hate, and I'm going to ask you to do it. (laughs) And you need to do it, because I'm God. Seriously. What does that say about how we view Him? Now, when you begin to understand some of the things we're going to talk about tonight, it will begin to give you a piece about, you know what? Anything you want for me is better than what I would ever want for me. And so, sir, I honestly do want to know. What do you want me to do? Because your plan is better for me than I can imagine. Now, I'm going to get into this. I'll get into this a little bit more tomorrow night when we start talking about partnership. And I'll explain why. But I've been serving God. Well, that's a kind of a loose version of it Um, i've been in ministry for 28 years to be and uh, in those 28 years I, i can tell you for the first several years of ministry um i wouldn't really call it serving i might call it cooperating i might call it um you know where the scripture that says if you're willing and obedient you'll eat the good of the land distinguishing the fact that you can be obedient and not be willing I was in the kind of obedience, I wouldn't even call it obedience, I call it kind of obedience. I was famous for having conversations with God, like, I want you to do this, no, I don't think so, I don't don't think so. I want you to go do this, "Ah, no, I'm not into that, and uh, no, I'm not going to do that, and now there's a reason for it, because I, because of my perception of who he was, I thought, well, listen, I I know what I like and what I don't like, and I don't like that. Not realizing that he was completely in love with me, and he actually knew me better than I know me, and that if he was asking me to do it, it wasn't a science experiment on his part. Let's just see if we can get him to do it. Come on, Jesus, let's see. That wasn't what it was. It was because he knew from before the foundations of the world the thing that would fulfill me the most, give me the most joy, be the most uh, applicable to my gifts and my talents. And he wanted me to enjoy my life. And so that was what he was asking me to do. People say, well, you just don't understand because you don't know what he asked me to do. No, I've been in your boat. I've been in your boat where I told him, I do not want to do that funny thing. When I actually began to yield to Him and start doing it, I found out I was more content doing that than I was the things I thought I really wanted. Now, go with me to uh, uh, Genesis chapter 2. Are you there? So, let's look at verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of the life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Interesting thing about these trees, in order for God to plant a tree, it had to have true criteria. It had to be good for food, but it also had to be pleasant to look at. I don't know about you, but the way I've heard about God in the past was, you know what, He won't do anything about your wants, He'll barely take care of your needs because the needs is the only thing He's concerned about. If that's true, if God is like, listen, I'm just going to give you enough to survive, why is the tree good looking? I mean, why, is it, why isn't it just this gray tree with this gray fruit? It doesn't matter whether it looks good or not. Hey, you're going to live, aren't you? It doesn't matter whether or not it's pretty to look at. I mean, as long as you survive, isn't that what it's really all about, kid? It doesn't, shouldn't matter to you whether it's good looking. I just want you to, you just need some assessments. Because this is a lot, way a lot of people look at God. I'm just, just going to hand you this little bit. And I know it looks nasty and I know it looks terrible, but get over it. This will help you live because that's really the only thing that matters. And he says no, no. God says no no we're not just going to create sustenance. We're not just going to put something in there where they just survive. I want them to enjoy it. I want when they look at the tree they marvel at how pretty it is. I want them to look at it and think, that's awesome. I don't want them just sitting here thinking, i got to go grab something off the tree, the mush tree today. The gray mush tree, no flavor, no taste. No, I want it to look good. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't for him to look good. It wasn't so he could look at it. It was so you could look at it. So that every time you went each day to grab some food, you were like, you know, that's pretty, that's nice to look at. Anybody in here ever seen a sunset? Do they have to look like that? Can't they look like the way the old TVs used to look where it just turns gray at the end of the night and says, click, it's over. Go to bed. Right? Does it? Yeah, exactly. Does it have to be pretty? And then, the next morning, you wake up and you look outside. And it is absolutely gorgeous, filled with colors. He didn't have to do that. He could have done it like, you know, the light. I've got lights in my bedroom at home. It looks like a noonday sun when it turns on. And it ain't pretty. And it's terrible in the middle, you know, when you wake up and, you you know, you know how you'd like to go from like a little bit of light and just like, you know, it's like, Poof, time to get up. Could have been like that. It could have been, listen, we're not having any transition. No colors, nothing. We're just going to turn the lights on. You need to get up and start moving. Seriously. What's with all the flowers? I mean, ultimately, why didn't he just... Pick one. If you want to have flowers, why didn't you just pick one? Because we're all different. Because we all like different stuff. We like it's pretty to look at, isn't it? Isn't it or isn't it? Yes. Well, who made all that stuff? And he specifically had a criteria about it, didn't he? It can't just be good for food. It's got to be pleasant to look at. Why? Because the people I'm making it for, I'm in love with. It didn't have to be that way. It didn't even have to be close. But he wanted it that way because he loved you and he wanted to give you something beautiful. Go with me to Luke chapter 5. So it was as the multitude, verse 1, so it was as the multitude pressed about to hear him and hear the word that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake the fishermen had gone uh, gone from him. and they were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land and sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon also answered and said, Master, I have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. He's not actually being completely obedient. Uh, he's being partially obedient. Jesus didn't say net; he said nets. And so, that should give you hope. When you're only partially obedient, God will still help you. So, he says this. He said, "And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. That was because of their disobedience. This is probably a rotten net. Actually, it's probably a net that they didn't had, hadn't washed." The reason, and one of the things that proves that is then later on in John 21, when they pull in a boat load sinking full of fish, when they pull in all those fish, the net doesn't break. So, evidently, the the net, they're actually not designed to break. They're actually designed as you pull them up that the fish will just flow out the sides not to break. But if you were to take a rotten net, say you one that you had cast aside, it would break. And so he. so he does this thing and he, uh, he it says, uh, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking, so they signaled for their partners in the other boat and come to help them. And they came and filled the boat, the, both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. He had to fall down at his knees because he can't get to his feet because the, Jesus right now is standing in knee-deep in fish. Right? And so, um, he says, depart from me, O Lord, I'm a sinful man. The reason he's saying that is he didn't do what he was told. But here's the thing i got to ask you about. Does Jesus not know the boat is full? I mean, these guys have been toiling all night. Right? If they'd have caught any, they're professional fishermen. They, they catch, they go sell it, and they feed their families. So if, you hadn't, if you've toiled all night and you don't have anything, you're going to go home broke. Right? You're not going to be able to feed your family. So it would have been nice just to get an adequate catch of fish to be able to take care of things. But Jesus says, no, no, I'm not interested in, um, I don't know if you really read my word, but in my word I said that your cup would run over. Well, let me ask you about that from the 23rd Psalm. Does God not know the cup is full? Has He not figured it out yet? That this cup is actually full and He just keeps pouring. There's enough fish in this thing. Remember, they only had that one boat initially. Now they're calling for other boats. Did He not know that this was so many fish that it would sink? Not only If they'd have tried to pull all this, this boat would have gone down. And now they're filling up boats. Does Jesus not know? How this works? How is it that when they encounter Him, He gives them a harvest off of a seed that is the greatest catch, not just that they had ever seen, but that anyone had ever seen? Why do that? Why do it so the point, you, you are so blessed, your boat might sink under the blessing? Because this is who He is. I'm not interested in just giving you food. I'm going to give you beautiful food. I'm not just giving you enough to take care of you. I'm giving you enough that you can take care of you. You can take care of your children. You can take care of your children's children. And it's going to be so great, you're going to be able to feed other people's children as well because that's who I am. Go with me to Ephesians. This should be a very familiar verse. You know, actually along with the 103rd Psalm, this is one of the verses... This is one of the prayers that we pray over you all every day. But he says this, he said um, down here in verse, uh, talking about how, in verse 19, that you need to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge so that you can be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ask or think. That's interesting because that's actually an ever-increasing measure. It's an ever-increasing measure. It's always outside your grasp. You know that when I first got into ministry, if they walked in my office and said, hey, uh, we need to buy something that's $50. I would say, oh my goodness, let's all join hands. $50, oh Jesus. Lord, I know, I know, Lord, you're bigger than $50. I know, Lord, somehow or another, it's equal to part in the Red Sea, Lord, but I know that you can bring $50. You know, now in the ministry, they don't even need approval to spend $50. Now everything's $5,000. we are on our way to where everything's $50,000. So I was another minister, a friend of mine, he was talking about, he had to do three things this year. Each of them were $90,000. I said, I'm so grateful, honey, that we're not sitting here. Everything is $90,000. But it's an ever-increasing measure. $50 today is nowhere near, anywhere close. I can easily think that. And He, every time I can think it, He tells me, you know, here's the thing. (laughs) I want to do better for you. You think that's big? Wait till you get there, and then I'll show you something really big it's an ever increasing measure. Why is it that way? Because he's in love and he wants to bless. He wants to bless. Go with me to um let's go with me to Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham because he was he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. I love that. Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. All 100% his idea. And so he, when he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now notice this. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly the, to the heirs of promise, the immutability, basically just means unchangeableness, of his counsel he confirmed it by an oath by two other un- immutable or unchangeable things in which is impossible for God to lie that we might have st- strong consolation it also means uh, reassurance and we have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us now this hope based upon what he swore is we have as an anchor to our soul which enters in behind the veil let me let me Break that down into natural, normal vernacular. Is that alright? So God is sitting there looking at man. And God can't lie. It's impossible for him to lie. Right? Now there's a couple reasons it's impossible for him to lie. One, he has absolute integrity. The number two thing is, is because if, if God were to come in here tonight and say, what a beautiful Monday evening and you were to say, no, it's not Monday, Lord, it's Tuesday, he would then say, you need to check the calendar, you need to check your watch, because you're going to find out, by the nature I said it was Monday, it is now Monday, because what I say comes to pass. So he can't lie, right? Because if he says it, it, everything in creation just orders to line up with what he said. See, this is the reason the Word will fix you, Because it's the Word that created you. You are basically a Word-built creature. All things were made by the Word and without the Word, nothing was made that was made. And that Word will fix you. That's the reason that when you read the Word, that you are actually reading and ingesting the very thing that created everything. So, just the same way that if, if this was, if this is metal, if we were to, if I were to take a a hammer and knock a piece off of it, if they have the metal out back and they have the man that built it and they still have the expertise, Because you still have the material that made it, you can make it as though it never was. And even if it was almost completely destroyed, since you have all of the material, you could basically recreate it from the ground up because you still have access to the material that created it. This is the reason that no matter what is wrong with your body, you have the very substance That can give you new lungs, can give you new organs, can give you new things. Because that's why we try to get you into the Word. We're trying to get you into the very thing that created your body. And it's the very thing that will fix your body and it'll fix everything else. It's also the reason we try to get you to speak the Word. Because the creation itself knows what it was created from. And so when you say it, creation says, yeah, we got to line up with that because that's what made us. Okay? So, um, but see, here, here's the thing. God can't lie. He, he just can't. He, he just doesn't have it in him. He just can't do it. But He starts dealing with man. And He loves man. And He's trying to get man to the place that man begins to understand that he is absolutely in love with him and absolutely committed to him. Thus determining... To show the heirs of promise the unchangeableness of his counsel. That's what he's saying. I I need to to get these guys to realize I'm in love and I'm going to help them. Well, how do men end doubt? Well, an oath for them is the end of all dispute. So, man, if you swear an oath, man stops disputing and says... Okay, I believe it now because you swore an oath? Yeah. Well, then you know what? I'll swear an oath. I will swear to you. I will give you my word. I will make you a promise. Not because I need it, but because you need it. And because I love you, I will meet you where you are. See, this is the thing. I, I still walk the floor and I confess the word, but I do not walk the floor and confess the word to change God. I walk the floor and confess the word to change my mind and to change creation. Because, see, I used to think I had to convince Him. That's what I had to walk the floor with the word to convince Him to help. And then I, you know, He brought up the fact that how did you get that book? Well, you. Why would you think I gave you that book? Um, I gave you that book because I'm in love with you and I wanted you to know what I wanted you to have. And I swore it to you so you'd believe I meant it. I was determined to show to you the heirs of promise, the unchangeableness of my counsel. I had no reason to swear. I can't lie anyway. But you needed it. So I met you where you were. See, when you're praying the Word... You don't have to convince God to do the Word. He gave you the Word to convince you. He's not a hard sell. He's in love. And the person that he was in love with didn't believe he was in love. Didn't believe that he would do what he said he would do. So what did he do? I swear to you. I swear to you. He wanted you to realize, I'm not changing. I'm for you and that won't change. I want to help you and that won't change. I want to do this for you and that won't change. He wanted you to be grounded. He wanted you to be anchored. He didn't want your soul going up and down and up and down and up and down with what was going on in the world. He wanted you solid, secure, and steadfast. Because He was in love with you. And He wanted you to know, I am 100% committed to you. And even though I don't have to give my word, I will. So that in your mind, it will end all dispute. That it will anchor your soul. The fact that you have those promises testifies that God is in love with you and that He wants to help you. And the only reason you have that promise to lift up is because He wanted you to have it. We need to quit acting like we're quoting the Word to convince God. God is already convinced. That's why you have it. He gave it to you to convince you That you could have it and that he wanted you to have it. See, he's in love. Go with me to, um, let's talk about God's motives for just a second. You might be sitting there. Go with me to um, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Y'all getting anything out of this tonight? Are you glad you came out? All right. Now, here's the thing you might be hearing this and you might be hearing, So you're saying that God wants me, He loves me so much, He actually made creation so that it was pretty to look at, not just to, for me to get by, but He wanted me to enjoy the ride. Yep, that's what I'm saying. Are you telling me that you honestly are trying to convince me that God, God uh, w- will help me even if I make mistakes? That's what you said last night? That's right. And you're, are you trying to tell me that God wants to do for me that he's, he's just gonna keep pouring and he wants to keep pouring even when the glass is full? Yes. That he, that if I, I need help and I, I need to take care of my family, that he won't just like give me enough to last today, but he'll actually load the boat up so that I can feed them for I don't know how long. Yes. You're saying that all these promises in this book he actually wants to do? No matter how good they are, no matter how amazing these promises are, no matter how outlandish to my mind these promises are, that he wants to do this for me? Yes. Well, I have a hard time believing that. I understand. Because, you know, we live in the era, era of Nigerian princes. You've never had a Nigerian prince sent you an email? and tell you how they've just, that they are one of the wealthiest people in the world, but they've had a tad run of bad luck. And even though they've got millions, for $700 of your money, it can give them access to the millions, and they'll split it with you. Am I the only person in here? What about the phone calls that we get? And so we, when we start hearing things that are too good to be true, we have a question. What's the catch? Why would somebody do that? That sounds entirely too good to be true. And unfortunately, because of that's the way society is, when we start looking at God, who every attribute of Him is too good to be true, we start asking questions. And so when somebody says to me, How, are you telling me He would do all of this for me, that even if I've been stupid, He'll still help me? I mean like really stupid. I mean like major league stupid. He'd still help me? Yes. Why would he do that? Let me illustrate it this way. When I was in college, I had a very, very dear friend. He was... uh, um, We were best friends. And um, he came to work for uh, the organization that I was associated with, kind of on the outskirts. He handled some logistical stuff. And uh, he he uh, met this girl, and um, on the easy side, all I could say is she was a horrible girl. I mean, just horrible. I mean, like really bad. Like none of none of us, his friends, liked her. She she wasn't even pretty. We thought maybe he's you know you might, you know you've ever seen uh, people put up with something out of either a pretty guy or a pretty girl just because they're pretty, but she didn't even have that going for her. She was a horrible human being. I mean, just horrible. I, I, uh, I mean, I, I honestly to this day cannot think of a single redeeming quality of this girl. And um, so, what was worse is, is that Mark, my friend, um, I paid, uh, my company paid all his bills. And this was, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but there's something called long distance back then. For those of you who've never heard of long distance, they used to charge you by the mile, I guess, if you wanted to call somebody. And so his phone bill calling this girl who, you know, I don't know if her family liked her. She, she, uh, he, he, she would spend a thousand or so dollars a month, and this is back in the 80s, uh, 89, on the phone of my money calling this girl when she would go home. Then, when she left school, he, he would drive home every, like, Thursday or Friday, all the way back to, I think it was Maryland or Virginia or somewhere up there. He would drive, and we were in Georgia, he would drive back every weekend. To see this horrible human being. And, and, and um, she would do stuff that was absolutely crazy. And I'm like, I mean, the friends are like, this, this is nuts. And I'd go to him and I'd say, Mark, do you know what she did this time? And he'd say, yeah. I said, are you going to break up with her? No. Why aren't you going to break up with her, Mark? Because I'm in love with her. I'm in love with her. Mark! But but she just did this! Yeah. Uh, Are, are you finally going to get rid of her? No. Why not? Because I'm in love with her. Then he starts looking at rings. And we're like... No, surely not. Surely not. Surely not. Surely not. And he's looking like at several thousand dollar rings, which today would be like ten or fifteen thousand dollars. We're thinking, this girl is not worth a ring out of a cracker jack box, and you, you are going to spend this money? Yeah. Why would you give her something like that? Because I'm in love with her. And I learned something. People do crazy things when they're in love. That defies understanding. Defies logic. That people on the outside are sitting there thinking. Why would anybody ever do that? Because they're in love. Do you know that's true of me today with my wife? I think last year I flew in from. Where did I fly in? From Australia before D.C.? I flew in from Australia. I had... I forget how long that flight is. Y'all know about 20, it's about 20 hours, right? I think it's where I had to go. I think I had to go, huh? Yeah, yeah. I think I had to go from Australia, maybe to Hawaii or something or LA and then come in. I hadn't seen my wife in two weeks. It would have been easier on me by far to fly to DC because I actually ended up flying into D- DC the day I had to do things, right? The morning. It would have been far easier on me just to fly to D.C. If I'd have flown straight to D.C., I'd have actually had two days rest after work, uh, just hour after hour in, in Australia. But you know what I did instead? I flew to Miami. Do you know why I flew to Miami? Because my wife could meet me in my, Miami. And even though it was going to be hard, and even though it was going to be difficult, and even though I would, knew that there was a possibility I would physically pay a price, I did it. Do you want to know why? Because I'm in love with her. I've talked to her on the phone. I have, sp- I have spent thousands of dollars calling her from Africa of our money because I wanted to hear her voice and I wanted to visit. This is before internet calling. Before, because I wanted to visit with her. And they say, that's crazy. You might think so, but I love that woman more than any person I've ever met. And I want to look at her and I want to talk to her and I want to hear her voice. I want to hear about her day. I want to hear about the crazy things her friends do. Not really, but I want to hear her talk. <laughs> I've done you know, when we first met, we would talk all night on the phone and then have to get up for major meetings the next day. We still sometimes do that depending on what's going on. People say that's crazy. Yeah, it is. Then why would you do it? Because I'm in love with her. I don't know what else to say. And you start asking the question, why would God help me after everything I've done? Why would He bless me? Why would God want to do? And if you looked up at the Father, He'd be standing there going, because I'm in love with you. I just love you. That's His motive. He's not a Nigerian prince. He's in love. He wants you. He is completely captivated by you. You are the apple of His eye. He wants to give you a boatload a boat sinking load of fish. Because He's in love. He wants the trees pretty for you. Because He's in love. He wants to do whatever it takes to get you to trust Him. Because He's in love. He wants to do for you exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ask or think. Because He's in love. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse verse 4, excuse me. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. I want you to notice here, this is also true, it's over in Romans as well. It says, while you were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you. You were without strength. Here it says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In other words, you did not have to earn this love. In fact, you were incapable of earning this love. He loved you because He wanted to. He he loved you because He looked at you. You say, but you don't understand the mistakes I've made. I understand. Maybe you're a horrible human being, but He's still willing to pay big money to talk to you on the telephone, and He's willing to go out of His way to come find you because He's in love. He's in love. Now this is an interesting statement about this. But God who is rich in mercy. Now this is funny the way he phrases this. Because he talks about how it's true that God is rich in mercy. He is. Funny thing about mercy though. Mercy is can be completely impersonal. Mercy can just be a characteristic of a person. You ever met people that were just merciful? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever let somebody pull in front of you in traffic? Right? You know the traffic? Have you ever done it? You you don't know those people. They had no right to pull in front of you. They might have made a mistake being in the lane that they were in. But what did you do? You showed them Mercy. mercy. But it wasn't personal. See, God is rich in mercy. It's part of His characteristics. He's just mercy. He makes the rain just on the unjust because He is merciful. And I love that about Him. But He didn't save you because of His mercy. He saved you for a very personal reason. It was personal with Him. Yes, it's true, I'm rich in mercy, but I didn't save you to be merciful. I saved you because I was in love with you. Because of the great love with which I love you. See, it wasn't an impersonal reason. It wasn't just a characteristic of his. It was personal. No, I came for you because I love you. I came for you because I want you. I came for you because you are the apple of my eye. Now, you can get mercy out of love. But you want to know something that's weird about this? I'm a pretty merciful person. But do you know my wife gets more mercy out of me than anyone else? Because of my love for her? My love will cause me to extend mercy to her where I sure enough wouldn't extend it to anybody else. But that love compels me. But it's personal. Now here's the thing, when we talk about these things... And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about how much God loves you now, but there's a danger because sometimes when we read our Bibles, go with me to Galatians. When we read our Bibles, sometimes we read these things on a page and we actually don't put them together, really. Uh, we, we look at them as words on a page. like when we hear John 3.16, for God so loved the world, we just kind of that He gave His only begotten Son. We believe it, right? Because it's the Bible. We believe the Bible. But we don't always connect with it. But I want you to see something that Paul did that I want you to do. This is in Galatians 2, and down in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, now notice this, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Well, wait a minute, Paul. God so loved the world, Paul. What are you doing here? For well, God so loved the world. Now, that's really, He died for the whole world. Yeah, that's right. And I'm part of the world, but... Just to make this clear, he died for me. He loved me. He gave himself for me. He. This is very personal between him and Jesus. Now, see, remember, Paul's an interesting fellow because it, it, Paul says, "I was one born out of time." Right? I wasn't. You know, I wasn't with the twelve. So. You know, people, and and to be honest with you, you should identify with Paul with this. You weren't running around with the twelve. You weren't there in the upper room. And yet Paul says, you know what? He did it for me. It was for me. He gave himself for me. He loved me. He wanted me. Yeah, thank God He did it for the world, but He did it for me, and I took it personal. This is a personal thing between He and I. He did it for me. And this is where you need to get to. All these things that we're reading in the Bible, don't look at them as Bible stories. Look at them as God looking at you and saying, I did this for you. I love you and gave myself for you. Yeah, it's great John 3.16 says, For God so, whole, so loved the world. But you need to change that and say, For God so loved me. He did this for me. He wants to help me. Now, we'll take it to the world. But it will be far more effective when you become convinced that He's in love with you and wants to help you and that shines out of you. Are you with me? Go with me to 2 Corinthians 13, verse, verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell, be complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. What's He the God of? Love. You know, John says it this way, twice in chapter 4, God Is love. How is it that when we think of Him, this is not the very first attribute we major on? That we want to talk about judgment? Everybody wants to talk about judgment. I mean, if anything happens, it's like, judgment! And they're talking about the God that actually is love. He's love. And He is the God of love. And he wants to love. Now think about this. When you start praying, I'm talking to love himself. Well, then it only makes sense he would love me. If, After all, if he's the God of love and he's the God of peace and God is love, he ought to be loving to everyone. But especially to me. See, why don't, we, why don't we relate this to Him as His characteristic? You know when Jesus got up out of the grave, one of the, the first message He said? He said, go tell my brothers that my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Why did He put fatherhood before Godhood? Why is the first thing He wanted them to know, tell them they're accepted. Tell them they have a Father now. He's no longer just my Father. But now we are one family. You are wanted. You are accepted. You are loved. Put it before His Godhood. Why? Because God is love. And He wants people to know. This is the reason we have the spirit of adoption. spirit of adoption cries out, I'm wanted. I was sought after. I wasn't an oops baby. They wanted me. They came for me. They selected me. They pulled me to themselves. Because I was wanted. I was no mistake at all. They came for me. He's love. Yeah, but you don't, under mistake, you don't understand the mistakes I've made. I understand He's love. And I understand He'll help you. Doesn't mean that you should continue in your mistake. Listen sin will eat your lunch. It, it truly will. And, and it doesn't do any good to keep sinning and then still keep crying out and not want to quit sinning. Because it's like this. It would be like if this was a hammer. Right? And I'm, and I'm taking the hammer. Now, I have the hammer. God doesn't have the hammer. Right? You have the hammer. And you're sitting there going, banging your hand, thumb with a hammer, saying, Father, heal me. Bam! Father, I just believe in for healing. Bam! I, I just know you're good. Bam! Ultimately, you do understand it. Does, one, you don't actually want healing because if you actually wanted healing, what's the first thing you quit doing? Hitting your thumb with a hammer, right? People come in and say, "Well, you know, I, I want all this from God. I truly do, and I love God." But yeah, but let's let's talk about here. Let's. Talk about this thing that's killing you. No, no, no. I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to keep doing that. Well, then eventually, you're not going to be able to receive healing fast enough, no matter how good God is, because you keep swinging away. Let's put it a different way. Do um, I got a bucket? Is there a bucket around here or something? Um, uh, okay, let me just do this. Let's say I took this bottle and I cut it in half, right? Now let's say I got a water hose and hooked the hose in front of the bottle. If I cut this bottle in half and then I cut the bottom out of the bottle, I can turn on this hose as high as I want to and there's no way this bottle will ever be able to contain what the hose is pouring out. Would we agree? Well, what sin does is it eats the bottom out of your bottle. And it doesn't matter how good God is. And it doesn't matter how much He loves you. And He doesn't matter how much He wants to help you. If you keep choosing to do that, you have no way to receive it. Signs that, you don't really want it anyway. Because if you really wanted it, you'd quit doing something that was killing you. Are you with me? And see, a lot of times people try to say, well, God, I don't understand why God won't help me. Well, I don't know. Why don't you quit beating your thumb with a hammer? It's amazing the results you'll get after that. And listen, I'm not condemning you because my boss doesn't condemn you. He loves you and he wants to help you. I'm trying to tell you that the things that you think are, are, are so valuable are, can be the very things that are destroying your life and it's not God doing it to you. It's you with a hammer in your hand. Yeah, well, would he still help me with a hammer in my hand? Yeah, he's going to try. He's going to try really, really hard. But ultimately, you have to make a decision—not just that he loves you, but that you love him—and to be willing to lay down the hammer. You know, a lot of times when we get into try- when we get into tests and trials, and while we're talking about this, go with me to. Let uh, me um, hold on just a second. Go with me to uh, John fifteen. While we get into tests and trials, many of us actually begin to act like the love of God is on trial. Well, if God really loves me, He'll help me and all that other stuff. Actually, that's not true. When you get into a test or a trial, it's your love for God that's on trial, not His love for you. His love, just so we're clear, uh, we receive communion on Sunday. Do you know why we're able to receive communion on Sunday? Because His love has been poured out and His commitment has already been shown. I will give you everything. I have given you everything. I have withheld nothing. From you, I love you. That's the reason we're able to do that. So why do we sit when we get in a trial? Begin the the first thing we begin to ask the question was, well, "If God loves me, why why isn't He helping me?" God does love you, and He's trying to help you. But are you do you love Him enough to stay committed in the trial and allow give Him time to help? John fifteen. This is what Jesus says about loving you. I'm in Luke 15. That's going to make things tough. Just a second. John 15. Let's look in verse 9. As the Father loved me. This is the Lord Jesus speaking, obviously. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments or my word, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my, command, my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now, let's go back up to verse 9. As the, there's so much I could teach out of 10, but I, I need, to, I'm, need to get moving here. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Say what? What are you saying, Jesus? I'm saying that the same way the Father loves me, I love you. Now, think about it. The same way The Father loves me, I love you. Did the Father love Jesus? Some of you are not not even nodding your head. I'd like a bit of a response. Um, And and just so you're clear, it's an open book test. He did. He did. To the point he he, he would call him, his favorite term for him is my beloved son. My son is being loved right now by me. Beloved. When you read that term in the Bible, when it calls you beloved, you should translate it, I am being loved right now. Did the the father love Jesus? Was it a big love? Well, I think if he is love and he's loving his son, I'd say that's a lot of love. Was he always there for his son? Did he always stand by his son? Would he stick up for his son? You know, we were talking about this today, and uh, you know, when... When they go up to uh, the mountain of transfiguration, right? And uh, Peter looks over and they see the pillars of their faith talking to Jesus. They see Moses. They see Elijah. They see Jesus standing there. And they're all talking. And, you know, Pete, sometimes he has issues. And it says, um, he said, he didn't know what to say, so he said. Just so you know, if you don't know what to say, just shut up. That's the best thing to do. But he goes ahead and speaks. And Now, it should have been a clue to him the way the interactions were happening. Because you see the two pillars of your faith. Moses, who you've heard about every Sabbath school. Moses, who your entire society is what he said is ordered around. And yet, Moses is talking to your boss as though he is in the presence of his king. I know you, sir. You're the one that gave me the word on the mountain. You are Him. Moses wasn't sitting there being flippant. No, he's talking to the King of Kings. And he knows it. Elijah, the guy who, you know, they, they have, I think it's the Seder meal or something, they always have an empty chair set for him. And he's standing there. And he's talking to your boss. Not like Elijah somebody, but he's in the presence of a man he's not worthy to lose his sandals. That would make an impression on you. So he stands up, and so he doesn't know what to say. So he says, "Hey, hey, let's build three temples: one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah." Elijah, Elijah. What's the next thing that happens? A cloud of glory appears, and the Father sets things straight. He says, "This." Is my beloved Son? Hear Him. What's He saying? They ain't equal. They ain't equal. That's my boy right there. What's He doing? The Father is loving the Son. They ain't equal. That's my beloved Son. And what's Jesus saying? (laughs) You know, the same way the Father loves me, I love you why is it that when he appeared to paul or saul on the road to damascus he didn't say why are you persecuting my people he said why are you persecuting me why because you are his he's in love the same way the father loves him he loves you and again remember how paul said it don't 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 just read it as though well that's everybody how did Paul take it? <laughs> Who loved me and gave himself for this is personal. This is personal. He's in love. Go with me to John, chapter seventeen. It says this: I and them and you, verse twenty-three. I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Okay. (laughs) This, when I read this, I have to be honest, I thought, that uh, you know, I, I believe that's the Bible, but I don't believe that. This was a very good verse for knowing what it said and not believing it. Because Jesus just said... That the same way the Father loved Him, He loves us. May know that you have sent Me and have loved them as you have loved Me. So exactly how much are you loved? Well, Jesus loves you the way the Father loves Him. And the Father loves you the same way He loves Jesus. Now maybe you're sitting here. And you're sitting there thinking, I don't believe that. You don't understand, I'm not perfect. Jesus was perfect. Then I got a question for you. If He doesn't love you the way He loves Him, why would He be willing to trade Him for you? Why would He be willing to have Him go through, forget the cross, just walk through this sludge hole of a planet after leaving heaven? You do understand that when Jesus woke up and he began to be cognizant of stuff, it was like he lived at a dump all his life. Because he is holy and this ain't. Every day, the smell of death, a stale smell, he that's not something. The smell of death, everybody smells like death. Everybody's in a state of decay. Whole planet's in a state of decay. He looks around this place thinking, this is never what we intended. You ever had that happen when when you've done something and you've worked at something, and then somebody just destroys it, and you walk in and you look around at it like, man, how did they let it get this bad? And he's that's his every day. Then he's gonna be betrayed. Then he's gonna go to the cross and pay the penalty for sin. Then he's going to have to be resurrected. He's going to literally pay double the price that was owed for us. He is going to pay billions upon billions, lifetimes of sin. His visage is going to be so marred you cannot even tell he's a man. His father's going to have to watch it. The question is, why? Why would he do that? Because he's in love with you. So I just, I just can't believe that he loves me the way he loves Jesus. Then why is he here? Why did he come? Why was he willing to make the trade? Why was he willing to put his son through that? Very, very simple. He wanted you. He was in love with you. And he wanted to help you. Or else it does not make any sense at all. That he would be willing to sacrifice his best for you. He's in love. He is absolutely, 100%. People say, well, that's crazy that he would trade Jesus for me. I get it. And if you were to ask him about it, why would you do that? He's going to look at you. Because I love him. I love him. I'm going to close with this. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. How do I keep... This is a new Bible, but I should be able to at least read the top of the page. I'm in Acts right now. Um, Romans 8, verse 31. What shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. I like to put it this way. Who can successfully be against us? Now notice this. He who did not spare his own son... But delivered him up for us all, how shall he not, with him, with Jesus, also freely give us all things? Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, there's a logic to that. Okay, let me, let me illustrate it like this. Okay? So, Pastor Sid said, comes in, and I say, Sid, I want to bless you with this hundred dollars, Pastor Sid. There's a hundred dollars. I want that back. Um, now, <laughs> okay. So now, the pastor said, "Sees, I've blessed him with a hundred. And he looks over and he sees. Well, I, I see you have a dollar there, Kurt. Um, could I have that dollar? I've just given him a hundred. Would it make any sense for me at this point you say, "Well, well, no, no," Pastor said, I'm, "I'm keeping my dollar." I'm keeping my dollar. No, I'm not. You can't have my dollar. I gave you a hundred. Why are you taking my dollar? Because if we gave him the hundred, if he says, can I have the dollar? Wouldn't we just, of course, right? Does that not make sense? Why would he withhold after he is giving you the very best he has? Why would he withhold anything? Why would he withhold your rent? Why would he withhold your new kidney? Why would he withhold anything from you? He's already shown his commitment. I'll literally give you the very best I have. I'll give you a hundred. If you want a dollar, of course I'll give you a dollar. Why would he withhold anything from you? It would be freely given through the Lord Jesus. Why would he withhold anything after he's given his best for you? And also, why, why would he withhold anything from somebody he's in love with? He's already proven that he... There is no price too great to help the people that he's in love with, to help you that he's in love with. Let me get that back before I. <laughs> That's funny. All right, so so here he says, How shall he freely give us all things? Now notice this. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God? No, it's not God, because it is God who justifies. So when you feel like you're being charged for something. Don't think God is in it. God, God is the one who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Well, we know it's not Jesus. He had a woman caught in adultery in front of him. And he said, I'm not going to condemn you even though you just sinned. Ten minutes ago, I'm not going to condemn you. Is it He? Who is it he who condemns? It's not Christ. It's Christ who died for you and furthermore is also risen. And far from condemnation, he's at the right hand of God making intercession for you. Now notice this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Now, here's the thing. This should tell you that you should not allow tribulation to separate you from the love of God. You've had a bad run. There's been some difficulties. There's been some challenges. But you haven't been separated from the love of God. And if you haven't been separated from the love of God, you haven't been separated from the resources of heaven. You're still in the game. You can still go. You can still prosper. You can still fulfill your destiny. Because He's still in love with you. Shall tribulation? No. Shall distress or persecution? Anytime these things come up, you've got to stand up and say, I'm not separated from the love of my Father. I'm not separated from the the promises that love my Father has for me promised me. Shall persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or distress or or peril or or sword? Now, here's the thing. If you run into a famine, you can say, well, famine's not going to prosper against me because the famine couldn't separate me from the love of God. If you run into a fellow with a sword, you can say, you can't separate me from my life. You can't separate me because you you can't separate me from the love of God. As long as I can't be separated from the love of God. Notice how he says it. He goes, as it is written, for your sakes we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sleep sheep to the slaughter. Yet, in all these things we are more than conquerors through who? No, who who does it specifically, how does it specifically address it? Him who? We are more than conquerors when we become convinced of how much He loves us. When we become convinced... That nothing can separate us from His love. That He who loves us will take care of us. He who loves us will perfect that which concerns us. He who loves us will make sure that famine does not produce against us. Swords do not produce against us. Persecution, trials, and distresses. We might look like we're lambs going down to the slaughter, but it's going to turn around to our good because we have not been separated from Him who loves us. He will make us more than conquerors. Now... Now, this is part of this, it might be hard for you to get a hold of. But you're in good company because it was hard for Paul to get a hold of. You want to know how I know? What does he say next? For I am persuaded. In other words, I didn't start off here. I didn't start off believing this. I didn't start off laying hold of this. I had to become persuaded. I began to spend time with Him. I began to get to know Him. I began to see His track record. I began to to spend time with Him. And you want to know what? I became persuaded. You know, if you're not there yet, you keep after it until you become persuaded. But I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. I think that pretty much covers it. There is nothing that exists right now, and there's nothing that will ever exist that will be... The devil himself cannot separate me from the love of God. Nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come. There is no height. It doesn't matter how high I go, I cannot be separated from the love of God. It doesn't matter how low I go, I cannot be separated from the love of God. It doesn't matter what gets created, I can't be separated from the love of God. If there's something that doesn't even exist yet, you know, know, five years ago, they weren't talking about COVID-19. Now they are. It's now a created thing. Guess what? I'm still covered because there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're in Him, and He's in you. See, you are loved. God showed up, not because He had to, but because He wanted to. Not just because He's merciful, but because He was in love. And then, in the midst of this, He loved you so much, He was willing to send Jesus for you. And Jesus was willing to come because He's in love with you. And He loves you, this, Jesus loves you the same way the Father loves Him. The Father loves you the same way He does, He loves Jesus. Nothing can separate you from God's love. It's just not possible. Because he's in love. And if you're sitting there struggling, trying to figure out, I don't understand how God would make promises this big, that it would be this good. It's real simple. He's in love. People do crazy things when they're in love. They defy logic. They defy reason. They defy circumstance. But because they're in love, they'll do it. Well, I wouldn't do that. I know. Because you don't love you like He loves you. And understand, there's nothing you have hidden that He's going to find out that would cause Him to love you any less. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You need to make a decision that this is not about God loving the world. This is about God loving you. Just like Paul said, Who loved Me and gave Himself for Me. Here's the thing about this. It says of the Lord Jesus on the cross. It says that He looked at you. And for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross despising the shame. And you, you were the one that He found that joyful. That there would be a day you could be a part of His family. There would be a day that you could come out of the victimization of sin and destruction. That He would be able to help you and to love you. You were the joy. Because He was in love with you. Folks, these are not just words on a page. These are the expressions of a father towards his child. These are the expressions of a father looking at his child, wanting the child to know desperately that I'm in love with you and I will do better for you than you could ever possibly imagine if you will begin to receive my love. To let me love you. Quit looking at you and at your mistakes. You're not the one who brought you close. He did. You were without strength. You need to quit trying to earn it and simply say, I am loved. I am loved. And nothing has separated me from that love. Now tomorrow night, God's love is going to be in demonstration in your bodies, in your finances, and in your lives. But tomorrow night, that service, I, I firmly believe, and I, you know, I, when you, you're going to see some things about the way that the Lord wants to treat you, that will thrill your heart and empower you every day of your life to begin to receive in greater measure. Amen? Did y'all get something out of this tonight? Praise God. Pastor Sid.
1: Are you grateful? are such a good God. You can stand with me. Father, I thank You for Your unchanging truth, Your unchanging and faithful love. Thank You that You have brought more light to us, more understanding of how much You love us, how valuable we are to You. Thank You, Father, for these things. Thank You that You have revealed to us more than what we've understood before. And I ask You, Lord, that this would continue to grow in us, that You would water it within us and cause the growth to come forth out of us. Father, we yield ourselves as Your children, to You, fully committed to You, to walk it out, to demonstrate it, to be examples of Your will in the earth. And we thank You for Your love, in Jesus' name, and Amen. So tonight, lots of important announcements are going to be be made across the United States. But I want you to do something. Don't get caught up in the drama of it. I didn't say, don't be aware of it. I said, don't be caught up in it, right? And whether you see victory happen or defeats happen, let's stay in faith. In faith that better days are ahead. That God is going to draw people to Himself during this time and season. And we are going to stay a people of prayer, of people who love this nation. And we're going to also stay honorable no matter who is our president. All right, you can go in peace and take the time that uh, is necessary to love on each other before you go.
2: Good evening. Welcome to Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So great to see each and every person out tonight. Hasn't it been absolutely fabulous? Life-changing in every way. The good, good Word of God. If you ever need uh, an excuse to praise the Lord, and I doubt that you do, but if you do, don't look any further than Psalms 103. What a phenomenal fabulous Psalms that just puts you right in the presence of the Lord. Those of you who know it by heart, let's say it together. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgiveth me of all my iniquity, who healeth me of all my diseases, who redeemed my life from destruction and crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercy and fills my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. You can't be depressed praying that psalms, can you? Or meditating on the goodness the real goodness, and the love of, the, of our Father. Amen? Well, let's all stand up together as family tonight. And we are the family of God here in this church, assembling. Our functions are so important. you are so valuable to the body of Christ. And we're going to just thank the Lord tonight for all his love and all his goodness. Amen?
1: Father, we thank you for your love, for your goodness, for your mercy. We're grateful to you, Father, for all the good things that you have done, because you are only good. We recognize you as Lord tonight. We recognize you as God. Father, you are our God. Someone say, he is my God. He is my God. So, Father, I just ask you tonight to minister to us by your Spirit that you would do within us what you want done and accomplished, that your will would be accomplished tonight, that your kingdom would increase and expand in this house tonight. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and amen. Amen. Why don't you turn to someone and greet someone, tell someone hello, welcome them, introduce yourself. You know, I was looking around the room and um, I was looking for the patriotic hair. You know, we have the white, we have the red, we just need blue. Who's got blue hair? (laughs) Today being election day, I trust those of you that had the right went out and sowed a seed for your future. (laughs) A seed with faith that expects a change in this country for good. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Galatians. And uh, if you need an envelope for your giving tonight, just raise your hand and the ushers will bring an envelope to you. Just keep it up until they see you. And um, you can write in. Uh, there's a place there for credit card information if you want to give that way. Or if you're making out a check, just make it out to CWI. And we want to send uh, Brother Kurt... Out blessed and well supplied, so in Galatians chapter six, if you're following along in your Bible, let's begin reading in about verse six. So Galatians six six says, "The one who is taught the message must share his goods with the teacher." So you and I are the ones being taught the message, and uh, the Father is teaching us through. Our brother, Pastor Kurt, alright? So we're going to share our goods with him because he is imparting something to us. Verse 7, now here's a point of, of deception. The law of sowing and reaping. And people get deceived on this and so he makes a point to say don't be deceived. Or in, other, in another way of saying is beware, right here's a point where people are deceived. So pay, pay special attention when you see that says, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. You don't go out and sow corn in your field and, and expect soybeans to grow, right? Uh, what you expect is corn. The exact thing you put into the ground to come right back up out of the ground. Uh, not long ago, the farmer, he, he harvested the corn that was in the field next to our house. And then he comes out there with his equipment, and he has his planter, and he's planting something. And so the boys and I stood on the deck, and we watched him driving back and forth, and had the discussion about what do you think he's planting? Well, we don't know. It's a good guess. It could because of the time of the year. We had a guess at what it could be, right? Um, but but we don't know because we didn't ask him what he's planting. We didn't go out and look at his seed. See, if you know seed, you can identify with the crop that's going to come by the seed that's being put in the ground. But we didn't know the seed. We're just seeing him from a distance. And I told the boys, I said, I don't know, I don't know what he's going to harvest, but it's not going to be long and we'll know what he's going to harvest. Because there's that seed planting time and the passage of time and the harvest. Right? Seed time and harvest. And so right here... He says, whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Even natural things. You know, that is the first gift that God gave to mankind. Was the law of sowing and reaping. He looked at Adam and Eve. And He told them, this seed bearing you're going to sow and all these things. So He gave them the... He talked about it and presented the first gift to them. Was the law of sowing and reaping. Let's look on down into... uh, we we'll continue in verse 7, verse 8, I'm sorry. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption, or you could say decay from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Now don't think salvation here, think something else. Eternal life, um, how did Jesus define eternal life? Knowing God. Knowing God and His Son, Jesus Christ. That brings divine life to you. That is life. And where divine life is, what comes out of that? Abundance, all kinds of good things. And so when you sow to the Spirit, let's say it a different way, when you give to the Lord, who is Spirit, you reap divine help in your finances. He goes on here, he says, Uh, Verse 9, so we must not get weary in doing good, for we will reap at the proper time, if, everyone say if. If we don't give up. So there is a passage of time that takes place. Verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. So tonight, we have opportunity. As we have opportunity, right? So tonight, we do have, this week, these series of meetings, we have opportunity. Maybe you've already given in the uh, last night. Um, if that was the case, then just keep your faith engaged on it, all right? And, and allow it to build as we talk about this every night. And what does it say, especially to those who belong to the household of faith? Well, one of the things Pastor Kurt's going to talk to you tonight about is uh, what, what they've been doing with pastors around the world. And so as, as we enable... Uh, and become partners with with Pastor Kurt and Kurt Owen Ministries, and he goes around the world and holds pastors' conferences, this has a huge impact on on the household of faith. Are you with me? And we will reap. That's the good news. So if we don't give up, if we hang in there, if we continue it to expect the good things from the Lord. So take a hold of your offering and let's release our faith and pray over it and present it to the Lord. Father, we just give to You this offering, and we give it to You and You alone, Lord. And we're so grateful that You acknowledge, that you, that you watch over Your Word, that You're waiting for someone to take You at Your Word, and that You perform it. So Father, we call Your promises fulfilled here in this house tonight, that the, that the sower is blessed, that the one receiving it is blessed, and the one being ministered to is blessed. I thank You for this in Jesus' name, and amen. Where the ushers can wait on the people, and the people will give unto the Lord. Now, I must say something else about this. You know, it's very important, because in the day and age that we live in, we don't lack opportunity. We have opportunity all around us constantly. If you ever have more money than you know what to do with, and you just don't know where to put it, come talk to me, I can point you in hundreds of directions. Okay? So there's no lack of opportunity. So the important part is this next thing I'm going to say, that you be led where to put it. You know, the Lord might move on you to put it into Curdoan Ministries or into another ministry, but it would it would be a bum deal, wouldn't it, if you put it in the wrong place and then didn't have it to put it into the place he wanted you to put it. Because see there are people that are in this house that the Lord has Assigned for you to partner with a certain missionary, right? Not all missionaries. You know, there was people when Saul became king, there was men whom God moved upon that it caused them to unite with Saul and they went with him. And so I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you to today, tomorrow, because we have one more day in that we'll take an offering tomorrow night, is ask the Lord, how do you want me to be involved in this? Maybe it'll be become a monthly partner with them. Maybe it'll be um, with another ministry entirely. All right. The important thing is, is that you're hooked up with the Lord where He wants it because that's the fertile ground for you. Amen?